Thank you. My name is Frank, and I'm an alcoholic. I had nothing to do with that legend stuff. Isn't this a lovely room? Yeah. You know, you try to take a picture of this in your mind. Because one of the things about, as you get older in Alcoholics Anonymous, you come, you come to understand that these are special moments. This group of people will never, in the history of mankind, ever meet again. We're together tonight for the one and only time that we'll ever be together. That's just the way it is. And such a shame that was I was younger and early on in Alcoholics Anonymous, I could not grasp that. So that all those moments became ordinary thoughts that can be just distracted and thrown away, eliminated. This group, you and I, will never be together again. So we're going to hopefully use these few minutes say something that may help somebody. And uh, I'm not here to make you laugh or entertain you. There's a other group of people that we did not acknowledge that are here tonight. They didn't stand at all. Because they weren't in Al-Anon and they weren't in Alcoholics Anonymous. There are some people in this room who this is their first glimpse of Alcoholics Anonymous. They're here in support of someone they love and who they hope will get better. And they're looking around because when you have had no experience with us, you don't know what to expect when you meet us. Here's where we are. We're truck drivers. We're presidents of companies. We're airline pilots. We're doctors, nurses. We're unemployed people. We're electricians. We're psychiatrists. We're members of the of Congress. We've lived in the White House. We've walked on the moon. We're in the Football Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame, the Golf Hall of Fame. We won Tony Awards on Broadway. We have stars in the sidewalks of Los Angeles. We've won Oscars. Among us are some of the wealthiest people on the face of the earth, and among us are some of the poorest people. What's so beautiful about Alcoholics Anonymous is you can't tell which is which. We sit together with a commonality that simply is based on the fact that we want a better life. Some of us are desperate to have a better life. Some of us come here with such guilt and fears, and some of us feel so dirty when we come here. And we never want anybody to know what we did and what we thought and how we acted.
I came here on November 3rd, 1971, which happens to be my sobriety date, and it was not supposed to be. I came here because I was disgusted with how I was living. And I didn't know what else to do. I knew that there was some connection between how I was living and how I was drinking. But I couldn't discern exactly which came first, the chicken or the egg, and I didn't know what. But I knew that I was responsible for my life and what happened in my life. I come from a generation of people who understood that I played a big part in what happened. I played the whole part. I made thousands of decisions in my life. The net result of those decisions was I had to walk into a room full of strangers and let them know that I needed help living my life. And I tell you, that was not my life's goal. I was ashamed when I got here. Secretly, I said to myself, how could you have done this to yourself? Having to go to strangers and ask for help. I was 34 years old and a superstar lawyer. How could that happen to me? I had several degrees. I am not stupid. I would take an IQ test with anyone. How could I not have thought my way out of this? I'm not a coward. I'm a fighter. How could I have gotten knocked down like this? It's impossible. Now, I stand before you today, and I have been sober longer than I was alive when I came to you. So I have had two totally different lives in the space of one lifetime. And so could you. And the amount of years are relative to when we come. But those two lives are similar and different. The similarity of the two lives that I've had is they're both imperfect. They're not always okay. Here I am, over 35 years sober, and I would have thought by now I would have understood more. You see, when I was five years sober, I knew everything there was to know about Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> and when I was 10 years sober, I was sorry I told people how much I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> when I was five years sober. And it went on like that. We mark them, we mark them in, in fives. I don't know why. People like me mark them in fives. Fifteen years sober. God, I'm starting to realize what the questions are. Twenty years sober. God, this is a spiritual program. 
Good for you, Frank. <laughs> 25 years sober, they threw a big party for me. 500 people came to my 25th birthday party. I want to tell you something. Early on, before I started to talk, you were yawning. I just want everybody to know, in case you start again, that you're just a yawner. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with me. Thank you. <laughs> and at that party, they asked me to say a few words. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I can't say a few words. <laughs> and I said, we're celebrating the wrong day. And God, there was like a chill go through the room. I said, y'all came to celebrate the wrong day. And I guess they expected me to make some confession regarding my sobriety day. And I said, it's kind of neat to be sober 25 years because November 3rd is a date. But I'd really like to celebrate the day when the desire to drink left and I never recorded that date. I don't know what date that was. If I knew what date that was, I would celebrate that date. But I never know that date. I guess I just woke up one day and suddenly realized that I hadn't thought about drinking for a while. I don't know when that was. I'd like to celebrate the day that the fear went away. And I don't know when it was. But one day I must have woke up and realized I wasn't afraid. God, I'd wish I knew the day that the feeling dirty went away. I don't know. It's just one day I suddenly realized a sense of cleansing had occurred. I don't know when that was. Young lady, you're new, aren't you? That young man's holding your hand. It's okay, you can touch each other. As <laughs> soon as I said that, they, left, they took their hands from each other. If you just limit it to that, I won't be distracted. <laughs> now, why are you getting so red? How long are you sober? Five what? Five years. The, the lady's five years too? You're an Al-Anon. I couldn't have told. That. You don't look like an Al-Anon. <laughs> you smile so much. <laughs> I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not going one step further. There's no way that I'll get that finger and I know where. That's right. <laughs>
I have no opinion on Al-Anon because I'm not an Al-Anon. And I've been sober long enough to know that if you don't know anything about something, you oughtn't have anything to say about that. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you this. <laughs> you know, you are cute. You really are. What is your name? Jessica. Jessica, that's a nice name. My wife's over there, Jessica. I'm not hitting on you. <laughs> You're like one of my daughters. I kind of am jealous about Al-Anon's. See, you didn't do what I can't do. I could just... It would be wonderful to just pour a couple glasses of wine while you're doing your inventory. <laughs> just to help you write. Who's here that's got less than um, three or four months? Anybody up in front, this lady right here? There's a lot of time at this conference. I have given talks everywhere. And I said to this gentleman, I said, on average, Bob, you noticed that there was more time here than at the ordinary conference. I, I don't know what that means, but this lady, this young lady over here is brand new. How much time do you have? 14 what? Four meetings. That's nice. Over the span of how many years? Who else is new? Nobody. Oh, look at that whole bunch over there. How much time do you have? Four months? Next lady. Three months? No men? Oh, look at them all now. Sure. It's funny. The ladies start to show up and the men follow. That's all the way it looks like. It's like it was in the bars. That's why they have ladies' nights, half price. For the men, not for the ladies. You're new. How much time? Hello? Two months? Two months? We welcome you to Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> Before you're bored with me, I want you to hear this. Those of you that are new or like new. I know how hard it was to come here. It is harder to stay here than it is to come here. That's fact. That's what we're facing here. When I was one year sober, every room I went into, every conference I attended was full. They're all gone. 
When I was five years sober, every meeting I went to and every conference I went to, the rooms were full. They're all gone. Now they do a countdown, and, and I feel bad in countdowns because they say 25. And when you're 25, in your first year, the room was full. When I came in on November 3rd, 1971, they told me there were one million members of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I knew I was on the bottom because I was sober eight hours. I was the least sober person in Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> now, 99.4 of all the people in Alcoholics Anonymous have less time than me. That's sad. I was in the Olympic Stadium in Montreal when they gave the five millionth copy of the big book to Nell Wing. Twenty years later, in Toronto, they give the 25th millionth copy of the book Alcoholics Anonymous to Warden of San Quentin. You don't buy that book at Borders. on eBay, Yahoo, or whatever. You know where you buy the book Alcoholics Anonymous? In Alcoholics Anonymous, they sold 20 million books between those two conferences. Where are the readers of those books? That's what we're facing. If everybody that ever came to Alcoholics Anonymous were put in lines, there would be two lines. One line would be the people who are going to make it. And the other line would be the people who aren't. And the line for the people who aren't would span the globe. and be much larger than the line of those of us who will make it. And here's the simple truth. They read it here. They read it here tonight. Came out of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's read at every meeting. It's very simple. One sentence is about those of us who are going to make it. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And then all the rest of the words are going to be about the people who don't. And you know who decides which line you're going to be in? You do. And I do. Those who do not recover, those that do not recover, 
are people who cannot or will not. And when I heard that, I knew exactly what category I was in. I knew I could. I was not sure that I would. Because there's nothing attractive about going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings again and again and again and again and again and again. And who wants to get 40 years and be old? <laughs> who wants to hear the same stuff over and over and over and over again? Who wants to need help from strangers? Who wants to tell things to a sponsor they knew they would never share with another human being? Some of us did, some of us do, and you can too. Alcoholics Anonymous works. It works 100% of the time, if you work it, they told me. But I came into a different Alcoholics Anonymous. Here's what happened when I came in. They said, sit down and shut up. Can you imagine that <laughs> superstar lawyer? Slick, cool, cute. <laughs> well, I was. I was younger. Smart. Sit down and shut up. I go right into the George story. On November 3rd, 1971, I called Alcoholics Anonymous, but I had called twice before. First time was when I was 31 or 20, 32, I'm not sure. I was disgusted with how I was living. And I called Alcoholics Anonymous. And when they answered, I hung up. And I took an inventory. I was too young to be an alcoholic. I was too successful to be an alcoholic. I was too educated to be an alcoholic. I was too this and I was too that, and I decided what I needed was to be less hard on myself. And and I also had to change how I drank. I called Alcoholics Anonymous the second time. And I hung up. Took another inventory. Same old stuff. How could this happen to me? Third time I called was November 3rd, 1971, and I called the Chicago Office of Alcoholics Anonymous. And they answered, and I did not hang up. And there was a woman on the other side of the phone, and she, uh, she started out by asking me my name. Can you imagine that? 
I said to myself, there's no way I'm giving this woman my name. <laughs> and I wouldn't give her my name. I wanted to remind her this was an anonymous program. <laughs> what business is it of hers what my name is? I'm just calling Alcoholics Anonymous. She wanted to know how old I was. She wanted to know where I lived. She wanted my phone number. I don't want to give her any of those things. You know why? I'm ashamed I'm making this call. I'm not supposed to make this call. All I wanted to do was grow up and be happy. That was my dream for me when I was a kid. I want to be happy. I want to be grown up and be happy. That's all I've ever wanted was a sense of okay. I want to grow up to be a man and feel like a man. That's all I ever wanted. She says, I can't talk to you unless you give me that information. I gave her the information. She said, I'll have somebody call you at 6 o'clock. This is 9.30 in the morning. I said, lady, you don't know anything about alcoholics, alcoholism. Don't you understand? Between now and 6 o'clock tonight, I'm not going to need you. I'm going to take an inventory. <laughs> she said, if you're that serious about your problem, there's a place in Chicago. It's a club. You could go there. She gave me the address. I lived in Palos Heights. I lived in a big house on top of a hill. I had a big circular drive. That's where I parked my new Cadillac. I bought that house so everybody could see where I lived. In a big house on top of a hill. The address she gave me was not a good neighborhood. It was next to a strip joint. <laughs> then they've moved several times. I got in a blue silk suit, put on a silk tie, gold cufflinks, pinky diamond ring. <laughs> put that 18 karat gold thing you had in those days we wore, pins, gotten that new big fin Cadillac, and did what everybody else did, go join Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> I just come back from a trip in San Juan, Puerto Rico, that I didn't bother to take my wife. I was sunburned, suntan. God, that suit was pretty. It matched my eyes. The blue was just... <laughs> I pulled up to that storefront, Alcoholics Anonymous Club. I thought to myself, well, they're going to see me come in. Park right in front. I walked in there, and a guy walked up to me, a young man in a white shirt and tie, said, you need help? I thought to myself, didn't he see the car? <laughs> I mean, 
Do you know how much this suit cost? I'm thinking to myself. See, it's not like the country club when you go into Alcoholics Anonymous. They don't look at all that stuff. They don't look at the suntan in the cars, in the clothes, in the girls, or the jewelry. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they look in your eyes. You see, with all that other stuff, you can camouflage who you really are and how you really feel. But when they look in your eyes, you can't camouflage the fear and the guilt, the remorse, the confusion, the anxiety, and the hopelessness. And he spent five or six hours with me. And part of the time I told the truth. And he was a nice young man. And he asked me after a while if we wanted to go out and have a sandwich. And then we would go to a meeting. I thought to myself, what do I want a meeting for? I've been in AA all day. I lied to him. I said, I got to go home. I have to be home for dinner. I hadn't have been home for dinner for years. <laughs> Why do you go home for dinner? She's there with those kids. My children are they. And my wife is a she. How did that happen? How did that happen? I married her so we'd have a better life. How did she become a she? How did they become a they? Three little girls with computer eyes, eyes that I caused to be computer eyes. How did that happen? I never wanted that to happen. I didn't will that to happen. I prayed that that wouldn't happen. I came from a home where a husband battered a wife, screams in the night. That would never be my house. And it became my house. How did that happen? It had something to do with drinking. But I love drinking. I'm good at it. And I drink because I like what it does for me. I don't drink because I'm thirsty. I drink to be free. To have hope. To fit in. To be like other people. To insulate myself against the things in me I don't understand. And it worked for me. It worked for me for years. And all of a sudden, it didn't work anymore. And I didn't know that. So I called my wife. I brushed that guy off. And I called my wife. And I said, you won't believe what I did for us today, or you, or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> and she was not impressed. Because by that time in our marriage, my wife didn't care if I came home. She really didn't. She just said, I said, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. She said, well, we're going to have chicken. It'll be on the table at 6. 
And I walked into the, I walked into that big house on top of the hill, and there was a wife who didn't care, with three kids who were afraid, and there was chicken on the table. I don't know if your children ever had computer eyes, but you see it in alcoholics of my type. You see, they don't know what kind of day Daddy had. And if Daddy had a good day, Daddy will hug you and kiss you and tell you you're beautiful and you're God's little angels. But if Daddy had a bad day, if Daddy lost or Daddy was hurt or Daddy was afraid, he may just knock you off the chair with no warning because he noticed you left a shoe in, in the living room. And they're afraid to look in the eye, kids with computer eyes, because they're afraid of what they might see. And those were my girls. And the phone rang, and I knew who it was. It was 6 o'clock. It was going to be Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't want that phone to ring. I could have pulled that phone out of the wall. But I didn't. I picked up the phone, and I heard the worst voice I've ever heard in my life. Here's what I heard. Frank! <laughs> I got your name from the central office. I understand you got a problem with booze. <laughs> oh, he said, my name is George. <laughs> One of his pigeons are here, right? I said, hi, George. I had a problem, but I went to an E club. <laughs> you might have heard of it, George. It's called the mustard seed. He said, uh, they gave me your name, and uh, I want to come over and talk to you. I thought to myself, come over to my house. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I didn't know how they came to your house. <laughs> I don't know what they drive. I live in a big house on top of a hill. I, everybody knows and can see who comes to my house. I don't know if you come in a Volkswagen bus with a peace sign or what you do, but... Because I don't know about Alcoholics Anonymous. How could I have that happen to my children? Alcoholics Anonymous, ring-a-ling-a-ling. So I lied to him. That's not hard for me. That's what made me such a good lawyer. I have the ability to lie with no thought process. I can just lie. I said, normally that would be all right, George, but I've got to go to a PTA meeting. I had never gone to a PTA meeting in my life. I had never known a living human being who actually went to a PTA meeting. And it just came to me. Bang. I went to, I got to go to a PTA meeting. And he said, what time is that meeting over? <laughs> Shit, I can play the game. I said 9.30. I'll be there at 9.45. Is that true? 
I said, well, George, normally that'd be okay, but tonight after a regularly scheduled PTA meeting, they have a board of directors meeting, and I'm on the board. What time is that meeting over? <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, I can't relent here. I mean, I can't back up. This is a nice house. I, don't, I can't inflict my family on this guy. We have this brand new carpeting. <laughs> it's white. You know what white carpeting is like? I mean, you, you may, it just, I can't do this. I said, um, we have a fundraising committee after the board of directors meeting. What time is that meeting over? I said, I don't know, 11.30. said, I'll be there 11.45. And I said, George, this is not going to work. Now listen, I'm the same guy that at 9.30 in the morning was disgusted with how he was living and was willing to go and see strangers, the subject matter of which was going to be, how do I live inside me? 6.05. I'm blowing him off, I thought. <laughs> he said, before I hung, hang up on you, because you disgust me. Answer a couple questions, and then we'll be done. I'm thinking, boy, I'm, I'm out of here. He said, what are you, somebody famous? I said, yep. <laughs> said, are you somebody important? Said, you got it. He said, what are you, a lawyer? <laughs> I said, yep. He said, listen, Mr. Famous, important lawyer, I'm a lawyer. They gave me your name and address when I got out of court today, and they asked me to call you because you had called them. I want you to know something, Mr. Famous, important lawyer. I practiced law for years and years, just five miles from where you live, and I've never heard of you. <laughs> And I said, what time are you coming? <laughs> and he said, I'm not coming because you're not worth it. That's the kind of AA I came into. And that's a hook. Because when you tell me I can't have it, I tell you, try to stop me. <laughs> when you tell me, I can have it. I can have a new life. All I got to do is take some little steps. I'm going to tell you, I'll think about it. I'm not quite ready to take those dramatic little steps. So when he said I wasn't worth it and he wasn't coming, he got my attention. He said, if you want to talk to me, you come to my house. And I asked him where he lived, and he lived in Beverly Hills in Chicago. And I knew what Beverly Hills meant. My kind of town. 
Chicago is. So I drove to Beverly Hills and I got to his house and I walked up the stairs and he answered the door, little guy, little guy, like Mickey Rooney. Frank. <laughs> yeah, George. Wait there. And I did. I didn't get in his house. A year later, we're at a coffee shop. He said, hey, Frank, remember the time you came to my house? When I called you? I said, I remember, George. He said, do you ever think about why you never got in? I said, no. He said, we got new carpeting. <laughs> Here's what they said to me. Be quiet and sit there. Then at the end of the meeting, they said, tomorrow, be on the corner of 111th and Western at 7.30. We'll pick you up for the meeting. They didn't ask me, do you want to go to another meeting, Frank? They said, be at 111th and Western at 7.30. And I was. And we went to a meeting. At the end of which they said, tomorrow night, be on the corner of such and such. They never asked me my opinion. The fourth night, they said, we're going to make a 12-step call on a guy. You be quiet. And we went to his apartment, and his mother answered the door, and he wouldn't come out of his bedroom. And we waited for a half hour, 45 minutes, and he never came out of the bedroom. And we got in the car, and he said, tomorrow we're going to this meeting. They didn't ask me, and he didn't say anything about why that guy didn't come out of the bedroom. He didn't say we wasted our time. He had no opinion about that man. I don't know whatever happened to that guy. They didn't realize I had sensitivities. <laughs> they didn't think I had opinions and feelings. It was old-fashioned, pure Alcoholics Anonymous. It was my good fortune to have that. And if you're new, I hope it's your good fortune too. If I had a pill that could make you, these ladies right here that are brand new, if I had a pill that could make you a social drinker, That's it. You take one pill one time, and for the rest of your life, you can drink like a social drinker. Would you take the pill? Come on, be honest now. Of course you would. She said yes. The answer is no. <laughs> well, you think you would take the pill. But that's because this is, as that man's sponsor says, is a... Illness is disease of, of denial. It's, it's, your, it's your, the way you look at things. 
let me tell you. I want you to picture one of your girlfriends who are social drinkers that you call when you want to go out with. Huh. You see, I don't call social drinkers when I want to go out. <laughs> I don't hang around with social drinkers. I have nothing in common with social drinkers. Here's what happens for social drinkers. They meet each other on the street. Oh, hi, Alice, how are you? Nice, Betty, I'm feeling okay. You want to stop for a drink? Maybe, maybe, maybe she says yes. Then you know what she's going to do? She's going to sit with you in a bar, cocktail lounge, and have a drink. And then she's going to drink the drink. And then she's going to go home. Who wants to be with somebody like that? <laughs> Social drinkers, after having one or two drinks, when they're offered another, they say things like, no, thank you. I'm starting to feel it. How would you like to live like that one day at a time? I'm starting to feel it. I don't want another one. Are you nuts? That's why we drink. To feel it. And when you feel it, you order another one. They don't understand. I never was a social drinker. I drink because I want to feel it. And when I feel it, I come together. Bob says it. It's like I'm the Tin Man in the Wizard of Oz, and I have all these loose nuts and bolts. And when I drink, it's like somebody coming behind me with a screwdriver and tightening those. And I'm whole, and I can dance. I drink because the fear goes away. I'm going to tell you about the test tube, and I've got to sit down. A bunch of years ago, I, I, for 25 years, I did a beginner's meeting. Many of you have been at that meeting. A lot of people. Ten times as many people as on this room, that are in this room have been in that beginner's meeting. Brand new folks in Alcoholics Anonymous. All I've ever tried to do is tell you the truth. And the truth is very simple. This is not easy because it's about surrender and conformity. And recovery is a continuous series of surrenders and an ever-ending conformity. That's just the way it is. But it's the most wonderful thing that can happen to people like you and think and people like me. 
I walked in a beginner's meeting sometime around 1981-82, and for some reason God said, I guess, because the idea came to me, and I believe that everything that good has happened in my life, and everything bad that has happened to my life, is about my life. And everything good that can happen to somebody has happened to me since I've been sober, and a lot of bad things have happened to me. Because I still have life, and that's what it's all about. And I said to the beginners, there were 30 or 40 or 50 of them in their room that time. Then it grew to be hundreds in that room every week. I said, you know, we use the word alcoholic. And I don't know what you see and what you picture when I say alcoholic. When you, I say alcoholic, do you picture a woman? You say, no, you're a woman. You said, no. You know, most women, when I ask that question to newcomers, I say, close your eyes, picture an alcoholic. Open your eyes, tell me what you picture. They always tell me, more often than not, they tell me they picture a dirty old man. Why not a dirty old woman? <laughs> I don't know. It's a phenomenon. A lot of things about women I don't know. They're phenomenous. So I said, let's make an alcoholic. We'll make an alcoholic in the test tube of our minds, in the laboratory of our minds. And I said, I, handed, I held an invisible test tube. And I said, from your experience, you that are new, tell me what the ingredients are required to make an alcoholic of your type. And no one said a word. And you were all new. And one little girl at 16 said, put in fear. And a man who was brand new, 60-some years old, said, put in depression. And then it went like a Gatling gun, for you those know what that is. Bing, bang, bang, bung, bung. Put in ego. Put in remorse. Put in guilt, someone said. Put in perfectionism, someone said. Put in guilt, someone said. Put in self-loathing, someone said. Put in guilt, someone said. We had a lot of Catholics that night. <laughs> Put in negative self-image, someone said. It went on and on and on until the test tube was full. And then I realized what no one had put in the test tube. You know what they didn't put in? What do you think, you ladies that are new? What do you think they didn't put in the test tube? These 43 people who were making an alcoholic in the laboratory of our minds, they didn't put in alcohol. Because they knew before they read that book that alcohol was but a symptom of the problem and was not the problem. And I challenged them to pour some alcohol in the test tube that we had made 
to see what alcohol does for people like me. And here's what they report as they pour alcohol into that test tube with those contents. Alcohol makes the fear go away. Alcohol makes the guilt go away. Alcohol takes the sense of self-loathing and removes it. Alcohol frees you, people like me. I'm not shy. I'm bold. I'm not afraid. Come on. Take me on. Alcohol does what Bill Wilson said when he left that party having his first drink of alcohol at age 21. He walked down that driveway after having three or four drinks, Bob, I'm not sure, but only a few drinks. And he said, I am free for the first time in my life. The chains that bind me have fallen away. Alcohol freed me, Bill Wilson said. That's the effect that alcohol has on alcoholics of my type. But here's the sad part of the story. It works for a while. And then it stops working. And I kept pouring alcohol into the test tube when it didn't make what's in there go away. And here's what happens when you drink past that point. Alcohol no longer makes fear go away. Instead, you know a new fear. You keep shaking your head. That's okay. You keep drinking after it stops working. And you think you know guilt, you know a deeper, uglier, blacker sense of guilt. That's called alcoholism. I didn't want it. I didn't seek it. And I got it. But I came to you and have had another life. My kids don't have computer eyes. My seven grandkids don't have computer eyes. My wife and I will be married 46 years. She's been married longer than I have. <laughs> But my job is to be the best husband I could be, the best father I could be, the best papa I can be, the best AA I could be. And I don't measure up, but I'm better for being in your presence. Thank you very much.